We have been walking through uh, the Sermon on the Mount for a long minute. So since last year, we've been kind of walking through the Sermon on the Mount, kind of verse by verse, taking and looking at the posture that Jesus invites us to and, and the way of Jesus. It's the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. Uh, it's the most powerful sermon that's ever been preached. And so it's worth our time and it's worth our investment and it's worth us going slow through it. Uh, I, I joked last week, one of my pastor's friends said, you're getting a lot of mileage out of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and we're going to keep walking through the Sermon on the Mount uh, for, for a few more months as we kind of lead our way up to Easter and kind of walk through uh, the season of Lent and all those things that God is doing in the middle of those spaces. Um, but as, as we think about it, we're, we're, we're stopping today, and we did the same thing last week. We're in the section where Jesus begins to teach us about prayer. And we decided that for, the, for last week and, and then this week, we're going to spend more time actually praying than we're going to be listening to me. And so today we're going to practice some of this stuff and we're going to pray together and, and we're going to talk about the, the Lord's Prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer is Matthew chapter 6, starts with verse 9, and it's Jesus who just simply says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Jesus getting really prescriptive. And we talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus doesn't typically get very prescriptive. He doesn't really get into the weeds with things. He doesn't really say this is exactly the way that you're supposed to do it. He kind of leaves a lot of gray areas. He kind of throws out some ideas, throws out some postures, and kind of leaves us to figure it out. But in this instant, Jesus gets very specific. This is how you should pray. And, it, and, and I'm curious as to why, right? I, I always want to, I've got so many questions for Jesus, right? I'm curious as to why he gets so specific in this area and in this section when in other sections he leaves it so great. Uh, and, and I wonder, I speculate as to like how many times had the disciples heard Jesus pray out loud? Because if you read the red letters, which are the, the, the words of Jesus in scripture, very few of those red letters are actually him praying, in fact, in scripture, it talks a lot about Jesus retreated, left, went on his own, went away from the crowds, went away from the disciples, went off by himself to pray. And, and the passages we studied last week were passages that said, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray in a loud way. Don't stand up in the middle of the synagogue and wave your hands and say fancy words. We called it performance prayer, right? We're not doing performance prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to seek the Father's heart. And so last week we talked about the way that we start in prayer. The beginning point of prayer is always attachment to God. And oftentimes the way that we teach prayer and the way that we train in prayer is, is about our logic and it's about how we uh, interact with our heads and not our hearts. And we have to figure out, if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, if we're gonna walk in the way of Jesus, then we have to figure out ways in which we can attach and connect to the Father, which means prayer is not just about me bringing my list to God today. It's not just about me bringing my requests. Uh, and there's a lot of great forms that are out there of how to pray, praise, repentance, adoration, right? But yielding, like there's all these different things about how to, how to do this. Those are all great guides, but we actually want to move beyond the guides and get to a place where we know 
the Father's heart and where we understand the Father's heart. And so uh, we're going to engage in prayer with more than just our minds, more than just a list of to-dos, more than just a, 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 a rote activity or a reading of prayers. We want to actually engage the heart of the Father because we want to know the Father. And so today we're going to pray specifically, uh, we got a prayer night on Wednesday night, so this week on Wednesday we're gathering in here where we want to invite everybody just to come and pray and we're just going to take some time and we're going to do some more prayer exercises and pray together. We're going to have people here that will pray with you. We're going to kind of just do some prayer time together and open up space for us just to continue to pray. On our socials this week, every single day there's going to be prompts to pray the Lord's Prayer and we want to just invite you as a church to just engage in the Father's heart and we're not engaging for a specific reason like a lot of times when the church begins to pray like we're going to call the church to pray because we don't have any money anymore and we're going to pray that we're good we got money guys we're okay we're, we're not praying because we want breakthrough in any specific area there's no specific call to prayer we're praying because we want to align with the father's heart and so there's not a prayer like hey lord will you double our attendance next week please it's not our prayer of like, hey, Lord, will you double our giving? Both those things would be great, though, Lord. I'm just throwing that out. Like, that would be fine. I'd be fine with that. Uh, but, but we're not specifically praying for any of those things. We're just simply as a community saying, all right, Lord, we just want to be close to you. We want to know your heart. We want to align with what you're inviting us into. We want to be the people that you've called us to be. We want to live in the way that you've invited us to live in our life every single day and so I don't know a better way for us to do that than to just simply say, let's humbly, quietly just go to the Father and let's pray. Uh, my wife and I were married 22 years ago. Uh, the pastor that did our ceremony was a guy named Jim Lyon. Uh, Jim is a good friend. He's the general director of the Church of God. Um, he was very upset with me when I came here because this is not a Church of God church. Uh, and, uh, and I sold out my, my home denomination and came to hang with you heathens. Uh, but he, he was very excited. He was upset about that. But he's an amazing guy. He's the director of like the, the whole kind of denomination. He has a radio show that's kind of like this NPR. He's got this kind of NPR type voice. Uh, he's just soothing and calming. He, he'll, when he preaches, he'll just stand up and for like a half hour, he'll tell a story about William Wilberforce or some, some like somebody throughout history that was just brilliant. And then all of a sudden, he'll tie it all in with the scripture. And he's just brilliant, brilliant guy. And so he's a good friend. He was my boss when I was first got into ministry. I tricked him into hiring me, and, and he hired me as his youth pastor. And so when Sarah and I met and started dating, we were hanging out at their house a lot. I was babysitting their kids, and hey, I was their kid's youth pastor and just loved them and loved their family. And so in Middletown, Ohio, which is an amazing vacation destination, if any of you are looking for somewhere to travel uh, this summer, Middletown, Ohio, uh, Real Boulevard Church of God, the church had straight, do they still have green carpet? It, it's, it's just all green. Everywhere was green, like lime green. Imagine an entire room of lime green. The carpet was lime green. The, um, we've got purple, which is pretty awesome. They had lime green. So everything in the whole place was lime green. And, uh, and, and Sarah and I, 22 years ago in December, uh, got married. And, and Jim... During our, uh, our ceremony, use this passage in John chapter 2. John chapter 2 tells the story of Jesus at a wedding in Cana. It's, it's significant for a number of different reasons. It's the start of Jesus' public ministry. 
But it's also significant by the dynamics of what's happening there. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 2, verse 1 there. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. That's Mary. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, and the wine ran out. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And I love Jesus' response. He said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? I don't, I, my mom would not have liked it if I would have talked to her like that, I don't think. Uh, but but he, he, I mean, he's, he's strong, right? Like, if, if I'm talking to my wife and I ever use the word woman, I will then cower in fear after what happens next. Like, that is just not something that you say. It's not something, I'm the one that's in trouble at that point. He's like, woman, what does this have to do with me? He says, my hour has not come yet. And then verse five, and this is where I want to zero in today. This is, the, this is where our pastor landed as he was doing our wedding ceremony. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So my pastor, as we're getting married, we're standing there, we're kids, we have no idea what we're getting into, we have no idea what's ahead, we have no idea what the future holds. He looks at us and says, whatever you do for the rest of your life, do whatever he tells you. Whatever, whenever you're in that moment where you're like, I don't know whether we should choose this or this, do what the Lord tells you. Whenever you're in those situations where you can't figure out or discern or understand what's ahead, do whatever he tells you. And just on and on, do whatever he tells you, do whatever he tells you. And, 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 and in this moment, you got to think about this, in this moment, like this has to mess with, with really the ultra-conservative fundamentalist folks. Because Jesus' first miracle is water into wine, right? His first miracle is like, we are, the party's about to end, right? And there's gonna be shame on the family because whoever the family there, and I'm assuming the family was somebody that Jesus was close to. It was somebody that he loved. You don't go to weddings for just random people unless you're a wedding crasher or unless you're obligated for some reason, right? He's somebody that he loves. He wants to be there. He loves whoever's getting married. There's a giant celebration. They're running out of wine. The family's about to be shamed because the party's gonna be terrible and everything's gonna fall apart. Mary's like, Jesus, I, like, it's, it's time, Right? Think about Mary. 30 years ago, she had gotten all these prophecies. She'd stored them up in their heart. Angels showed up to her 30 years ago saying who Jesus was and what he was going to do and what was going to happen. 30 years is a long time. Right? A lot of you in this room, that's your whole life. It's a long time to be waiting on something to happen, and she's been waiting for God to do something. She's been waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. She's been waiting for the prophecies that she stored in her heart and believed about her son to come to life, and so she looks at him and says, Jesus, I think it's time. It's time for you to do something. He's like, woman, it's not my time. And then something happens. She says, do whatever he tells you. And something happens in that moment that causes Jesus to jump into action. Something happens in that moment that causes Jesus to move, that causes Jesus to step in and, and, and have this compassion. Maybe it's in that moment he's seeing his mom and he's understanding the shame that's gonna happen to his friend and he wants to act because he doesn't want his friend to experience shame and embarrassment and he doesn't want the party to be ruined. Maybe it's because Jesus just really wanted a good glass of wine that night. Maybe it's because there's just a lot of great things happening and he wants it to keep going. Like I, I don't know what stirred in his heart, but I think something that stirred in his heart was this posture of do whatever he tells you. All throughout scripture, if you read all of Jesus' life, whenever someone comes to him humbly 
and says, Jesus, please. I just, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to obey. Lord, I want to learn. It doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter if they're a Jew. It doesn't matter if they've been in church all their life. It doesn't matter if they've been in the synagogue. It doesn't matter who it is. Jesus responds to humility. And when people come to the Father and say, I just want to do what your will, your will be done. I just want to follow you. I just want to obey. I just want to walk in the way that you've given to us. God responds. And so we see in Jesus this moment where he responds and he turns the water into wine. Pete Grieg says this, he says, a single moment, a single moment of obedience, a simple yes to God can echo through eternity. And so for years, I've remembered that. Every time I read the story of Cana, the story of the feast, I remember me standing in that lime green carpeted place in front of Sarah and all of my family and all the people I loved at the time, and I remember the instructions of my pastor, do whatever he tells you. I think prayer is us learning what he tells us. Prayer is us being with the Father to learn the Father's heart for us. We have to discern and know what does the Father want, right? Because that do whatever he tells you is simple sometimes, right? There's a real easy answer, like don't do something terrible, do something nice, right? That's pretty standard. But there's other times when it's tricky, where it's complex, where it's like I don't know what's right in this moment. I don't know what's good in this moment. I don't know what's kind in this moment. I don't know what's holy in this moment. I don't know how to stand for both grace and truth. I don't know how to love and be honest. I don't know how to live into this space in its tricky way, and so I don't know what he tells me. And the only way we sort that out is in the presence of the Father. And as we stay with the Father, as we pray, as we learn, as we sit with him, as we're in his presence, as we study his word, as we go to church and gather together and learn from each other and co-discern together, as we do all of those things, what begins to happen is we begin to learn the Father's heart for us. My kids are starting to understand my heart. So there'll be times, all parents, this is the case, like I'll knock on, a, on my kid's door and they'll be like, oh yeah, I got to do the dishes. It happens before I even ask, like, praise the Lord, like, something good is happening, right? Uh, we'll, we'll say something, and the kids will be like, oh, I know, I need to turn the volume down on my earphones because you don't want to hear my rap music louder than your music in the car when I have earphones in, right? Or I know I'm not supposed to be playing video games because I've been playing for 18 straight hours, right? I, I know it's time to turn this off right now. Your, your kids begin to learn your heart for them. And they begin to reflect your heart to the world. Like your kids, they learn your generosity, and that's what they give to the world. They learn your kindness, and that's what they give to the world. They learn your posture, and that's what they give to the world. They also learn the terrible stuff from us, right? They learn the best of us and the worst of us, and I just keep praying over and over again, Lord, with all the dumb stuff that I've done with my kids, all the ways that they've seen me get it wrong, would you just erase that from their mind and just point them towards the good stuff? So we want to learn the Father's heart because we want to know how to respond, and the only way we do that is through prayer. There are two billion Christians in the world, two billion. And I was thinking about this this week. Imagine what would happen if for one 24-hour period of time, just one day, let's say a Tuesday, just for one Tuesday, if all two billion of us did whatever he told us. If two billion people on the earth 
did whatever God told us to do in those moments. Imagine what would happen. Imagine the generosity that would be poured out on our communities. Imagine the redistribution of wealth that would happen within 24 hours. Imagine how the poor's life would be shifted and transformed because of the generosity of God's people when we act like him and we do what he tells us and we stop holding on to our possessions and our dollars and our money like it's the most valuable thing and we begin to actually trust him with our money and our resources and we start to pour out our generosity. Imagine how much justice would take place. Imagine how many things would be set right in a 24-hour period of time. Two billion people. Right? If two billion people just for one day decided to pursue justice in the way that God invites us to pursue justice, amazing things would begin to happen. Amazing transformation. Society would transform and change. New laws would be passed. New things would come into being. Like our politicians and our leaders who actually claim to know Jesus, if they are part of that two billion, they would begin to enact and move and work on behalf of Jesus and policies get changed. Procedures get changed. The walls of racism begin to break down. Poverty begins to break down. Like amazing things begin to happen in those moments. In Ukraine and in Russia, guns are set down on the ground and we become peacemakers. War stops. Imagine the forgiveness that begins to take place. Imagine the reconciliation that begins to take place. Imagine the, the amount of calls that come to say, I've lived in a way that is separated from you and I've wronged you and I need you to forgive me and I need you to show grace to me and I'm so sorry that I've wronged you. And imagine the relationships that begin to re be restored when we do whatever he tells us. Uh, uh, imagine the peace that would come. Imagine how neighborhoods are transformed. Like We can go on and on. Imagine how many people in those moments hear about Jesus. Imagine how much evangelism takes place where we're obedient. We tell people about Jesus. Imagine all the breakthrough that could happen if for one day every Christian just did whatever he told us. There's a missionary in the Philippines who tried to live for 24 hours straight in the presence of Jesus. That was his life goal. I'm gonna try for 24 hours straight to just be in the presence of Jesus. And for years and years and years, he would journal about it. He would be like, I was listening, I was paying attention, I was good, and then I got distracted. A girl walked by. Like, he actually says that in his book, like a girl walked by, and then I lost the presence of God completely, right? I, I was in the presence of God, I was doing everything right, and I got angry about something. My mind started to wander. And his whole life, he talks about how this search for, I want to be in his presence for 24 hours, and he could not do it. It's the reality of the sin-scarred world that we live in, that there is a brokenness and a separation between us and the Father, but we still lean into this, I want to obey, I want to be with you, I want to do what you've called me to do. And so listen, we can't control what two billion Christians do, but we can control what the 300 in this room do. And let's just imagine the transformation if for one day, just us in this room decided to do whatever God told us. What could happen in Cobb County? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our neighborhoods? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our communities? What would happen in this room if we became radically committed to following the Father's heart wherever he leads and doing whatever he tells us? Like this is the kind of stuff that the Psalms speak about. Let justice roll. Let transformation break through. 
let your spirit pour out. Let's, let us experience a new wineskin and a new anointing. Let us see you in fresh and new ways. Let you do something else. But it all begins with connecting to the Father and being with his heart.